Proverbs chapter number 2. I was thinking this afternoon in regards to this chapter and uh, trying to stick a label on it so you'll have some idea as uh, as to what it's all about. And I don't know, you might be able to say the same thing, use the same title for uh, a number of different chapters in Proverbs. Uh, but the one that comes to me is winning over wickedness, winning over wickedness. And I'll tell you, we got a fight on our hands, don't we? We live in a fallen world, and it's a tough place to live, a rough road. There are four sections to this chapter, and we're going to begin with the first section here in the first four verses, which has to do with the concern of a father. My son, if thou wilt receive my words and hide my commandments with thee, so that thou incline thine ear unto wisdom, and apply thine heart to understanding. Yea, if thou criest after knowledge, and liftest up thy voice for understanding, if thou seekest her as silver, and searcheth for her as for hid treasures. So notice that the writer is resorting back to that former pattern that, that he used in speaking as a father to his son. And uh, I'm glad that he does this because it not only helps us out uh, in the domestic sense, that is, with our families and how we relate uh, to our children, but it helps to remind us that we are the children of God and that uh, God has given us perfect instruction and uh, we need to listen. Now, in these four verses here, he uses eight different verbs And I want you to look at each one of them. You might want to do what I've done, and that is underline each one of these eight verbs in these four verses uh, as he is expressing his desire for his son to attain unto wisdom. Notice verse number one. He says, receive, receive my words. And... uh, You know, in this day and age when most dads fail to communicate with their children, if you have a dad like that, you ought to be extremely thankful for it. And you ought to receive what it is they have to offer. There's so many dads today, you know, they're so caught up in what they want to do in the world that, you know, they really don't have time for the children as they ought to. And so there's a lesson here. Uh, not only for the children, but a lesson for, you know, those of us that are parents. Take time to communicate with your children. Uh, I I, I know a lot of times uh, one of the kids will call or something, what are you doing? And I say, well, I'm doing some studying or something. Well, I I don't want to bother you. And I always have the same response to any of my children. You're never a bother. You call me anytime you want to, day or night. doesn't make any difference. And, you know, I want my kids to know that there's an open-door policy when it comes to dad, and I want to make myself available. It's not always convenient, by the way. Sometimes I, I think, maybe I better rethink that policy, you know. But, uh, uh, but we need to communicate. But, but, by the way, we need to receive what it is that God has to offer. Because just as a good father has wise counsel for his child, has 
his child's best interest at heart, certainly God has our best interest at heart. So he says, receive my words. Then notice verse number 1 again. Here's the, the, uh, the second verb, hide. Hide my commandments with thee. And that merely speaks about retaining what they hear. Retain the counsel that I've given you. And, of course, it reminds me of Psalms 119 and verse 11 where he says, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Uh, God's word has the power to enable us to resist temptation and overcome sin, but it is of no benefit unless we've hid God's Word in our heart. We've got to know what God says. And so he's saying to his son, I want you to receive my words, and then I want you to retain what I've given you. Then notice verse number 2. Here's the third verb, incline. Incline thine ear unto wisdom. That word incline means to lean forward. It means to bend down. It means to hang on every word. And in this reference, notice it has to do with wisdom. And the point is, uh, be eager to, to listen and to learn and attain unto wisdom. And then he says, verse number two, the fourth verb, apply. Apply thine heart to understanding. In, in, in other words, you know, the Christian life is more than just getting a Christian education. It's more than just gathering as many facts as we can from the Bible. It's more than just knowing things. It's applying those things to our manner of life. And then verse number 3, the fifth verb is Christ after knowledge. So that speaks about the intensity of the desire. Crying after knowledge. Uh, I don't know. I've heard about some college kids, you know, uh, just about in tears praying they would pass an exam. You know, I mean, uh, they, they, you know, they, they, they want to get out of there, you know, the best they can with the highest grade possible. But I really haven't heard many people say, you know, I've just been crying a lot lately. Well, what have you been crying about? I've just been crying and praying for more knowledge. But I'll tell you what, we'd all be better off if we did that. And that's what he's saying to his son, Christ after knowledge. Then notice the sixth verb is lift, lift us up thy voice for understanding. So, you know, that is speak out and... Uh, Ask for understanding. Verse 4, number 7. Seekest her as silver. So this is something we're to seek after. Notice verse number 4. And the eighth verb is to search. Searches for her as for hid treasure. And the whole point is that while wisdom is personified in Proverbs, that is, wisdom speaks to us as though it were a person, uh, and crying out for us, for our attention, the fact of the matter is we're told that, that we ought to be crying out after wisdom, that we ought to be searching after wisdom. That is that we are to search after the, the very thing that's searching for us. Think about that for a little while kind of reminds me of what the Apostle Paul said. You remember whenever he was a sinner on the road to Damascus and the Lord captured his attention. And later on, he speaks about the fact that he has been apprehended. 
He has been apprehended. That is, it's kind of like him saying, yeah, I was on the road to Damascus and the Lord arrested me. He took me into custody. And, uh, and so he, he speaks about apprehending God, as it were, and being all that God wanted him to be. And so here in the same sense, just as wisdom's crying out for you, you ought to be crying out for wisdom. And, and that's what he says in the book of James. If any man lack wisdom, let him what? Ask of God. We're to cry out after wisdom. So here we see the concern of the father for his son, but this also expresses, of course, the concern that God has for you and I, and the advice for us is the same as it is for this lad. Now, we come to verse number 5, down through verse number 9. There's a change in subject matter, uh, not really, because it still deals with the subject of wisdom, but whereas it speaks about the concern of a father in the first four verses, now he speaks about the consequences of wisdom, the consequences of wisdom. And notice what he says, uh, verse number 5, Then shalt thou understand the fear of the Lord, and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord giveth wisdom, out of his mouth cometh knowledge and understanding. He layeth up sound wisdom for the righteous. He is a buckler to them that walk uprightly. He keepeth the paths of judgment and preserveth the way of his saints. Then shall thou understand righteousness and judgment and equity, yea, and every good path. Now, in the first four verses, he used the word if three times, but now the key word's not if, but then. Now, think about it. If you do this, notice, and now he's talking about consequences. So he says, then, here in verse number five, because he's introducing the consequences of having attained unto wisdom. And notice, he gives seven things, seven consequences of attaining unto wisdom. By the way, you probably already know seven's the number of perfection. I mean, if, if one of the great things about heaven when we get there, it, we're going to learn so many things that we absolutely never even dreamed of while we were here on earth. Every day, every moment is going to be one surprise after another. There will never be any boredom. And when we get to heaven and... Uh, you know, I do my best to tell you what the Bible teaches and to put things together. But, boy, you just wait till the Lord shows you. And, you know, we, I make mention of the fact that there are seven things that he mentions here by way of consequences. That's the se- number seven is that of perfection and completeness. And uh, so God put the Bible together exactly like he wants it to be. And it... it you know, we don't always see and understand uh, the whole thing, but but God has put it together in a perfect way. Verse number 5, the first thing he says, understand, then, then if you do these things, then you'll understand the fear of the Lord. And then he says, notice, then they, you will find the knowledge of God. Now look at verse 7 and 8, because the third thing here, the third consequence is security. He layeth up sound wisdom for the righteous. He's a buckler to them that walk uprightly. He keepeth the paths of judgment and preserveth the way of the saints. So there is security in wisdom. 
I mean, if we didn't need it for any other reason, we need to walk wisely because that's the only way we can walk safely. There's security in wisdom. Now, verse number 9. Then shall thou understand righteousness. And, of course, most people today don't understand what righteousness is all about. I, I, if, it hadn't been, if it hadn't been so serious, I would have laughed myself silly reading something today about Hillary talking about how that she, uh, uh, I'm, I'm trying to think of the verbiage that she used, but anyway, it had something to do with the fact that how the Bible had been her guide. And I thought, oh, my Lord, you talk about not getting it. I mean, she doesn't have a clue. And, of course, that's a sound bite that she knows that she can use that some people will will like, and so she uses that. But wisdom enables us to understand righteousness. Verse number 9, here's the fifth thing, and judgment, and verse number 9 again, and equity. And then he says, in every good path. With wisdom, you can understand every good path. Uh, we think about young people so many times and going through this world, and they've got all of these different paths that they can take and uh, the very different routes that they could go down and uh, kind of scratch the head, should I go here, should I go there? Well, I'll, I'll tell you what, and we'll see Sunday night whenever I talk about the will of God Sunday night uh, that good and perfect and acceptable will of God, uh, I mean, that's the path for all of us to take. The will of God, that's the good path. And the way to understand the goodness of God's will is through what? It's through wisdom. Without wisdom, you know, you're never going to get it. Well, we come to verse 10 now. And on down through verse 20, actually, got a longer section here, but... This has to do with the conquest of wisdom. The conquest of wisdom, and and I put it that way because here we see that it's the supreme antidote for temptation. And as you look at these verses, Solomon obviously looks at this matter from two perspectives. First of all, from the perspective of evil men, and then he speaks about strange women beginning in verse number 16. Uh, verse number 12, notice, as he starts out, well, let's read verse 10 and get down to that part. When wisdom entereth into thine heart, and knowledge is pleasant unto thy soul, discretion shall preserve thee, understanding shall keep thee, to deliver thee from the way of the evil man, from the man that speaketh forward things. Now, I want you to notice how these men are described here in verse 12. He says they're evil. And then they're froward, he says in verse 12. That means they're deceitful or, or they're, they're false. And, uh, and, and verse number 13, they leave the paths of uprightness. I was talking last, last week about, you know, as a young lad and the experience I had with a, a guy that was a, few years older and had a car and got to running around with him and the next thing was drinking and, and so forth which led to a life of drunkenness well uh, notice here we leave the paths of uprightness I mean that's not what my daddy taught me daddy had a lot of problems he cussed like a trooper and uh, you know was 
you know, not a church-going man whatsoever, uh, but he didn't drink. He didn't beat my mother. He was took care of his family. Uh, so he was a good man in a lot of ways. He certainly didn't teach me to end up like I was. In fact, in fact, they had warned me, don't, don't be like your grandpa in the VA hospital in Little Rock uh, because of uh, he'd got gas in World War One, and after that he was just a total drunk, and they literally kept him locked up down there until he died. So I had some good warnings, but I didn't pay any attention. Now notice, concerning these evil men, they leave the paths of of uprightness, and they walk in the ways of darkness. Verse 14, they rejoice to do evil. I mean, that's the thing that excites them. That's what turns them on. That's what runs their motor. That, that's what they live for. They rejoice to do evil. Verse 14, they delight in the frowardness of the wicked. Verse 15, their ways, notice ways are crooked and forward in their paths. Now, ask yourself this question. Would you want your son or your daughter to run with a crowd like that? Well, of course not. Of course not. And God doesn't want His children running with the people of this world. We Listen, Christians have got a bad rap on a lot of fronts. And one of the things is the world has accused us of having a holier-than-thou attitude. Now, I understand that there are certain cases where there are people like that. They're self-righteous. They think they're better than anybody else. But for the most part, those aren't Christian people to start with. They're like the, you know, the the Pharisees back in the the Lord's day. But but God's people, God's people, listen, although they're forgiven, they're not perfect. And they're going to make mistakes. There are going to be times that they're going to stump their toe. There are going to be times that they do things that are wrong. But listen, when the Bible says, Come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and you separate yourself from that worldly crowd, that does not mean that you have a holier-than-thou attitude. We we can't we cannot allow ourselves to run with the world. I mean, you know, somebody said uh, years ago, somebody said, "Well, I've become a Christian, but I, you know, I, I don't want to leave all of my friends." And the preacher looked at him and said, "Oh, you don't have to leave them at all." He said, "You you just start living for the Lord, and they'll leave you." You know, that's the way I found it to be, you know, whenever I quit drinking with them and running around and carousing around with them. Well, they didn't really want anything to do with me after that, you, you see. And uh, so we need not only to extend this warning to our children, we need to heed God's commandment about being separated from the world. We ought to be different than the world because if we're going to win the world to Christ, They're going to have to see the difference that Jesus Christ makes in our life. And one of the major problems we've got today is that when you look around, you you just can't see any difference between the world and the professing Christian. Now, verse number 16, he turns our attention to the strange woman. And he's not talking about somebody that is an oddball, strange in that sense, a weirdo. That's not what he means, but he's talking about someone you shouldn't have a relationship with. Verse 16, to deliver thee from the strange woman, even from the stranger which flattereth with her words, which forsaketh the guide of her youth, 
and forgetteth the covenant of her God. Uh, for her house inclineth unto death, and her paths unto the dead. None that go unto her return again, neither take they hold of the paths of life, that thou mayest walk in the way of good men, and keep the paths of the righteous. Now, you're going to see as we go through Proverbs, this is a subject that's going to come up again and again and again. And it's for good reason. As I look back over the years, and and I've tried to even stop talking about it because we already get enough bad publicity uh, about preachers that have fallen, preachers that are out of the ministry. And I realize the love of money is the root of all evil. And that has ruined more people, I guess, than anything else. But I'll tell you what, it's a dead heat whenever it comes to preachers getting out of the ministry. And that has to do with the matter of sex, uh, the opposite sex. And it's, it's horrible and terrible to think about what has happened to men. And that's why God is going to warn us again and again and again Uh, about how we relate to members of the opposite sex. There's so much to be said about it. But, But notice just a few things here, and he's going to expand upon this later on when we get over, I think, about chapter number 7. He goes into a lot of detail. But notice here in verse 16, she uses flattery. It says, To deliver thee from the strange woman, even from the stranger which flattereth with her words. Uh, wow. Uh, she appeals to what he wants to hear. Uh, I, I'm, I'm trying not to say too much because this is going to tie together later on and, and this very exact subject is going to come up again. She entices by flattering saying what he wants to hear to get his attention. And uh, and usually she does. Uh, I'm really struggling to not say some things that I want to say that I know I'm going to say later on. And let me just say this. Let me tell you, when, whenever it comes, and this is not this is not to shift the blame, but you'll see this clear as a bell later on. You know, there, you think about all of the men that have, that have fallen in that sense of having affairs. But it, it, it never happens until all of a sudden he sees an opening and she lets him know, it's okay. It's okay, big boy. Come on, you know. It's okay. You can come a little closer. It's okay. And, and, and little by little, and, and then naturally she goes, you know, if it's a situation... Uh, on the job, and she goes there, and, you know, he is talking about how nice you look today and flattering her, and she's flattering him, and she's thinking to herself, my husband never says those nice things about me. And after a while, they've got each other's attention, and then it progresses. But notice in verse number 17, it tells us here that she forsakes the guide of her youth. In other words, she ignores wise counsel. 
So we're talking about somebody here that is not ignorant. We're talking about somebody that has been taught, somebody that knows, somebody... And, and look at this from the Jewish perspective, and you have to do that, by the way. Whenever you read the Bible, you have to take into consideration the, uh, the, the society of the Jews in that day and the customs and traditions and what have you. And it was a big deal about teaching your children in regards to these things. I, I mean, and, and the woman that's being described here is somebody that's been taught, somebody that's received counsel. Now... There's not one of us here tonight that can say that God has not given us instruction. Am I right? You've got a Bible in your hand. God's given you instruction. And we would be just as sinful and foolish as this woman if we ignore the wise counsel of God's Word and go on and do our own thing. Uh, Because God's warned us and God's given us instruction. But more than that, and maybe maybe this is the reason behind it, look at verse 17 again, she ignores her covenant. And notice she forgetteth the covenant of her God. Now, I don't know what all is implied in that statement. Uh, automatically, the marriage covenant comes to my mind, and she is ignoring that. Because remember, when we think about when we think about marriage, that, that involves a covenant between the man and the woman and God. It's not just between the man and the woman, but God's involved in this. There's a covenant that is made, and here is a woman who ignores wise counsel and a woman that ignores the covenant that she has entered into. And uh, that's always serious. Bible says, better to not vow than to vow and to not pay. We better keep our promises to God, and especially in this context. But notice the tragic results of it there in verse 18, 19, and 20. It says, For her house inclineth unto death, and her paths unto the dead. Now, wait a minute, her house. Now, we're talking about more than her. You know, if the only one that got hurt when we sinned against God, you know, if we were the only one that got hurt, that'd be bad. It'd be terrible and awful. But it wouldn't be nearly so bad as, as it is when other people get hurt. And they always do. When we sin, it just makes me fighting mad when I see what, what, what mothers and fathers do end up getting a divorce, and, and, you know, who pays? Well, I know they suffer to some extent, but I'll tell you, it's the kids that really suffer. It's the kids that really have to pay. That is so stinking unfair to put those kids in a situation like that. Notice, her house inclineth unto death. This has an effect upon the entire household. And we need to think about that. When you make whatever decision you make, whether it's for good or whether it's for bad, it's going to affect your entire family. It's not just about you. It's about your whole family. And then it says, verse number 19, None that go unto her return again, neither take they hold of the paths of life. So now we're talking about, well, in one way, I guess you could call him the victim, but but he's more than just a victim because he has a mind of his own and his own free will. 
we're talking about the partner in crime now. None that go unto her shall return again. If you, if you really study what the Bible says in regards to adultery, what Paul said to the Corinthians, the sin of adultery is unlike any other sin in that it affects us in a different way. And I'm not going to go into any detail and try to deal with that right now. But when it involves the marriage relationship, it affects us in a way different from any other sin that we could ever commit. And that's how serious it is. And none that go unto her return again, neither take they hold of the paths of life. And I, I don't know what all the Lord means by that. I've got to tell you, but it sounds pretty scary to me. You know, they never return again. They don't take hold of the paths of life. You know, a person can put themselves in such a position that finally God gives up dealing with them. He gives them over to a reprobate mind, right? I mean, we know that's true because the Bible says it is. And maybe this has some reference to that. Verse 20, that thou mayest, that thou mayest walk in the way of good men. You know, he's going back expressing the desire to his son. Walk in the way of good men and keep the paths of the righteous. I'm so glad, you know, that we can look around and that our young people can look around and they can see in the church some good men and good women. And, you know, I, and I, if, if I happen to be teaching the young people tonight, that's what I would say to them. You find a good man and a good woman and you follow them. You walk in the way that they're walking in. Uh, let them be your example and your guide and your help. Now, verse number 21 and 22, here's the contrast. This is the fourth section. It's very brief, a contrast between the wicked, between the righteous and the wicked. First of all, the righteous, verse 21, For the upright shall dwell in the land, and the perfect shall remain in it. Now, this phrase, dwell in the land, was used to show the reward for obedience. And this had a special meaning to the Jews and their relationship to the land of Canaan. If you know anything about Israel, you'll know that you'll remember that God gave them the land. Why? Because of the sinfulness of the Canaanites. Some people have thought that was so unfair that God just gave the land of Canaan to them. But if you study it, you see that whenever their sin came up and was full, is the way God described it, whenever it was full and whenever it reached that point of saturation that there was no chance and no turning back, God took their houses, their land, and everything they had and gave it to the Jews. Now, he gave it to the Jews with the warning, though, right? And the warning was, you can dwell in the land. This is your land, but... And over and over and over again, he warned them, but if you forget me, if you forget, you read Deuteronomy chapter number 5 and 6, 7 and 8 and through there, and who is it that gives thee the power to get wealth? Well, it's the Lord. Who gave you all of the land? It's the Lord. And I'll tell you, God gave it and God can take it away. And we need to remember that. The upright shall dwell in the land. In other words, and by the way, I, I think surely we would all agree this applies to us today and to our nation and we think about the situation that America is in and, uh, 
and we forget that obedience brings blessings, disobedience brings a curse. So whenever we look at Washington and we look at the situation that we're in and the problems that we have and so forth, please always look at that and interpret that in the context of our spiritual condition as a nation. And you don't, you don't murder millions of, of little innocent babies like we do in America and not pay a price for that. I mean, we're getting what we deserve, so to speak. Safety, safety is in obedience to God, and there's a curse upon the disobedient. Now, verse 22, he speaks about the wicked. But, in contrast to the safety of the righteous dwelling in the land, but the wicked shall be cut off from the earth, and the transgressor shall be rooted out of it. Well, I'm so glad the Bible, you know, the, Jesus told us that the meek shall inherit the earth. You know, we as God's people, one day we're going to inherit the earth. Uh, but but the evil, the evil man, the world, the wicked person, they're going to lose it all. They're going to lose everything. The wicked shall be cut off from the earth, and the transgressor shall be rooted out of it. In other words, God's going to cut the root off, as it were. They're going to be totally obliterated, and that day's coming. And so do we need wisdom? Well, we sure do. Why? Because wisdom would have us to walk in the paths of righteousness, whereas folly would have us to live like a fool and to follow the rest of the crowd in the paths of, 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 of wrongdoing. And everybody ends up paying the price for it. I don't care how good you are, how much you love God, in some way or another, you're paying a price for the sinfulness as a nation. You're paying part of the price. You, you, you know, you, you, you didn't slaughter any little innocent babies like that, but you're paying part of the price. That's just the way that it works. But by the same token, the same token, when we live righteously, now think about this, you're paying a price as a result of the sinfulness of society. But whenever the righteous people prevail and when they are in positions of leadership, when they're doing what's right, what happens then? We are the salt of the earth. The ungodly benefit from those that are righteous. So think about that and think about what an impact we can have upon the land. I, I love what... You know, Abraham said to the Lord, said, if I can find just ten righteous souls. You know, God didn't need 50 or 100 or 1,000. Just find me ten righteous souls and I'll spare the city. Well, you know the story. He couldn't. And uh, I don't know what that number is in America, but I know that we can reach a point of no return to where where the judgment's going to fall uh, but until then we got a work to do don't we and that's to share the Lord Jesus Christ with the world let's stand and be dismissed Father how we thank you tonight for all that you've done and for your word that is a light unto our path and not only enlightens our mind it guides our feet 
and it gives us strength that that we don't have on our own. And we're just so thankful that we don't have to depend upon our own flawed reasoning. We don't have to depend upon the advice of other people and we don't have to take a vote and see what the crowd wants to do. All we've got to do is open up your word and find out, discover what you say and and do it. So help us each one tonight to determine that we're going to live obediently before you. And we pray that you'll help us to go out of this place tonight determined to be a blessing to those that we come in contact with. God, help us to not lead anyone astray, but help us to be an example to them that they might find that path to perfect peace and safety and the joy that's unspeakable and full of glory. For we pray in Jesus' name, amen.